You're listening to the Hippie Haven podcast, where we have honest conversations about how easy and sometimes how hard it can be to save the planet and why it's so important. If this is your first time listening, welcome. My name's Callie. I'm a zero waste activist and consultant, the founder of Bestowed Essentials, my line of ethical and eco-friendly lifestyle products, and I travel full-time around the United States in my camper van, hence my blog name, ahippieinavan.com, which is where you can go to learn more about me, this podcast, and all the work I do. My mission is to inspire you to take action, because the planet needs our help now more than ever, and I truly believe that together, we can make a difference. Diana Cohen is an artist and the co-founder and CEO of the Plastic Pollution Coalition, a group that raises awareness of ocean waste and addresses the pervasive problem of plastic pollution. She was inspired to co-found the Plastic Pollution Coalition due to her work as an artist because her chosen material is the plastic bag. We talk about the dangers of plastic, why recycling isn't a viable solution, how plastic pollution relates to climate change, and what individuals can do to fight plastic pollution. Today's show notes are available at www.ahippieinavan.com forward slash 022 with a full transcript and links to everything we mentioned. This episode of the Hippie Haven podcast is brought to you by The Sustainable Switch, an online zero-waste store that offers stainless steel straws, three-in-one metal utensils, and reusable snack and produce bags. They also sell in bulk, so if you run a business or organization looking for sustainable alternatives, check them out. Use my discount code, a hippie in a van. That's A H I P P I E I N A V A N, to save 10% off your order over $15 or 10% off your bulk order of 50 plus items. Visit thesustainableswitch.com to shop now. How is your work as an artist influenced or affected by plastic pollution? Well, I think that's an excellent question. My work is influenced by plastic pollution in, in that. About 30 years ago, I started utilizing plastic bags in some of the work that I was making, which were collage-based pieces. Um, And originally, in the early pieces, I was using plastic bags that had botanical images of plants and flowers printed on them with the name in Latin, because I felt like that was so deeply ironic to print on a bag. Um... And initially, when I first started making the artwork, I wasn't, I don't, I wouldn't say I was, I had, I had very little, if no, understanding of the impact of plastic on the planet or human health at that time. I was really just using the material because it's a, you know, incredibly versatile material and it was mainly plastic bags. So, um, enjoying all the different colors that it comes in, that some of it's opaque, some of it's transparent or translucent, that there's different kinds of text on it, um, and imagery. The imagery is really fascinating to me, and that the fact that I had the power to deconstruct the bags, cut them up, overlap them, lay them back together, combine them in ways that I could say things that I wanted to say, utilizing the, the words, the text, the lettering, the font, and the images, But again, like I said, so deeply ironic to print images of plants and flowers and trees on plastic bags. And I think part of the reason that that really worked, and I'd imagine the reason it was done is because when plastic bags were first became more prevalent at supermarkets in the United States, the whole idea was that you were saving a tree by choosing paper or plastic. If you chose plastic, you were saving a tree. 
Ironic how that turned out. Yeah, ironic. Um, but And we know so much more now than we knew then. But really, when I started first making my artwork, it was really, it was really just a celebration of um, the material. So. And you're one of the co-founders of the Plastic Pollution Coalition. How did that get started? So that really came from, I'd say, Captain Moore, Captain Charles Moore, who founded Algalita. He was doing his best to get information out to people. He was basically yelling, yelling from Long Beach and saying, hey, people, we have a problem. It's called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. You may not be aware, but all the plastic, and particularly the single-use plastic that we're all so carelessly going through every day and tossing off over our shoulder or putting in a bin, imagining that it all goes somewhere. He said there is no somewhere that it's going to, that that idea that it goes away, that away is in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and I'm traveling through it and seeing what's happening. We all need to wake up. So... I think I, I was one of many people who heard him, uh, him, him yelling and trying to elevate this issue. And my initial idea when I first learned that there was a problem with plastic in the middle of the Pacific Ocean was that I wanted to go out there and clean it up. And so I spent time putting together a business plan to go out with a cargo ship and some decommissioned fishing trawlers, a crane, a cold molding machine, a chipping machine that some brothers were making in Utah. And my idea was to go out to the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and I thought that it was just all floating on the surface, and I could harvest the plastic, um, collect it, chip it up, and then cold mold it and turn it into bricks or building material. So that was my initial idea. And uh, the more I spoke to people who had been looking at it and got to know Captain Moore, I began to realize that it wasn't something it wasn't something that we could just solve by cleaning it up. We were going to need to um, stop it at the source. And so I, I shifted, shifted the idea and that idea became, uh, how do we create a global network of people? This is where the idea of the coalition came together, create a global network of people around the world who are all working on different aspects of the plastic pollution problem and bring them all together with a unified, some unified common messaging and help amplify that. So um, our first focus when we created Plastic Pollution Coalition was twofold. It was to call it what it is. If 70 to 90% of marine debris is plastic, let's call it what it is. It's plastic. When it gets into the environment or the ocean, it's plastic pollution. And our second goal was to take the model of the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle, and add a fourth R onto the front, which is whenever possible, refuse single-use plastic. And those still really are at the core of the work that we, we've been doing as the coalition has grown. And why is plastic so harmful? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, it's not so much that plastic is harmful. It's that most plastic is made from petroleum. A lot of it is designed for intended obsolescence, to, so to be used for a short amount of time. Um, a lot of what is intended to be used for a short amount of time is used for packaging, for food and beverages and beauty supplies, uh, beauty products, etc. And um, and part of the problem with that is it really has nowhere to go. And many places across the United States and around the world have zero infrastructure 
to support the take back of any of those materials. And we're just finding that a lot of it is getting into the environment, and that includes the ocean, um, our waterways, rivers, lakes. Um, but it's not only that. It, the reason that plastic is a problem is when, again, when we use it as packaging material for our food and beverages um, and beauty supplies, it leaches micro amounts of the chemicals that are used to make it, mainly the plasticizing chemicals, into the products that are held within it or packaged within it. And those are different groups of chemicals called phthalates and bisphenols. And you may have heard this kind of big campaign, hey, this is BPA-free, as if that's good. But of course, it turns out that the replacements for BPA, BPB, BPC, BPS, BPZ, et cetera, are equally bad, if not worse, to BPA. And these bisphenols and these phthalates are um, function like endocrine disruptors when they get into our bodies and into our systems. And um, so it's a little bit like dosing ourselves and our children all day long with little micro amounts of estrogen. And what those endocrine disruptors do is they disrupt our endocrine system. So they turn things on and off when they're not supposed to be turned on and off. Um, and the human body is, you know, a pretty incredible um, organism <laughs> tool uh, that that we all need to keep healthy and we want it to turn things on and off when it's supposed to, like when you're supposed to grow or go through puberty or go through uh, um, a pregnancy and giving birth or, you know, feed your baby uh, by lactating or go through menopause, all of these different uh, moments as human beings, as, as uh, primates <laughs> that we go through are affected by chemicals all around us. And unfortunately, the chemicals that are used in plastic turn things on and off at times when they're not supposed to. So um, exposure to these chemicals, BPA being studied probably the most, but to these endocrine disrupting chemicals has been linked to uh, diabetes and obesity, to lower sexual function, sterility and infertility, and to breast cancer, brain cancer, and prostate cancer. And um, babies exposed in utero to these chemicals, um, it's been linked to, specifically BPA, has been linked to shortened anogenital distance, smaller penis size, feminization of boys, so boys getting kind of breasts, pudgy breasts, um, early menses in girls, girls getting their period uh, younger than they normally would, um, a lower IQ, and a uh, some other additional health issues as well. So, And how does plastic pollution relate to climate change? Well, so plastic pollution relates to climate change in that plastic is primarily made from uh, oil, from petroleum, and byproducts of processing petroleum. And so when we say we want to divest from fossil fuels or that burning fossil fuels is contributing to climate change, um, our use of plastic is also contributing to climate change. And as we ramp up plastic production um, and all of these different extractive industries to create ethylene and various um, petroleum or extractive materials or resources that we can use to make plastic out of as the carbon source, we then are contributing to climate change as well as, you know, when when you look at the entire chain to produce plastic, you're looking at 
war and extraction to production and manufacturing to transport to use where we're again exposed to chemicals from plastic to particularly when it comes to single use plastics it's immediately like a waste issue so a lot of waste to energy models include different forms of incineration and that creates particulate pollution and then you know another part of that whole problem is that our addiction to plastic and single use plastics uh, also disproportionately impacts lower income communities across the United States and around the world because people in lower income communities tend to live closer to um, petroleum processing facilities, to incineration facilities or manufacturing facilities. And people get poisoned, get poisoned along the way, poisoned through the groundwater in those areas, poisoned through the air, higher levels of asthma. And so how serious is the issue of plastics in the ocean? How serious is it? Uh, well, I mean, it, it appears that plastic is uh, doesn't break down. It breaks apart. It can potentially break apart from exposure to sunlight or wave action or by being chewed on by animals that live in the sea. And it looks like it's being ingested by the entire marine chain. A lot of people in the world depend on the ocean and sea life in the ocean, wildlife in the ocean for their primary source of protein. So it comes back to us that way. Also, when plastic gets in the ocean, plastic is oleophilic, so it attracts other persistent organic pollutants to the surface. And Dr. Takata at the University of Agriculture, University of Tokyo, has been doing an ongoing um, plastic nurdle project uh, where he people mail him um, the little plastic nurdles, which is pre-consumer plastic pellets, and he you send it with the location so that it's geolocated, and then he and his students look at the surface, and they found that one little plastic pellet can have ball of plastic can have up to a million times the persistent organic pollutants attached to the surface. So we're talking that the plastic in the ocean absorbs and attracts and holds on its surface all the things that run into the sea. So that would include other chemicals, including pesticides and pharmaceuticals and flame retardants. Um, and then those little pellets, again, look like fish eggs, so they're ingested by the marine chain, and um, a lot of people eat fish. And so what about just recycling plastic? Is that a viable solution to just recycle the plastic that we're using? Well, I mean, so I, you know, recycling is a really nice idea. And the problem with recycling is it only works if you've got an infrastructure in place that picks up or moves the materials or a place that people can bring them to and then in some way processes them. But it's really not it's really, it's a misnomer to say recycling because it's really not recycled. It's downcycled for the types of plastic that they are able to take back into programs. Um, and I mean, look, most parts of the world have no recycling. A lot of island systems have no recycling. So generally it's buried or dumped in the ocean or burnt. And so what is the Plastic Pollution Coalition doing to address these issues surrounding plastic? So, well, we do, we do a number of different things. And as a coalition, we also have coalition members that are working on all different aspects of the issue. Um, but I would say um, some of the most interesting things I think we're doing are we created a project called 
the refill revolution. And this year was the fifth year that we had done that program with Bonnaroo Arts and Music Festival, which is in Tennessee. And in the first couple years, they conservatively estimated that we diverted 2 million plastic cups and water bottles from getting out into the environment. And it's by popularizing and offering a refillable food-grade steel cup that people can purchase. They brand it with a different cup color every year. Uh, so people collect them. And once you buy that, every beer is a dollar off for the four days of the music festival. So that's been very popular. And we started implementing that program as well with Wonder Fruit, which is a music festival in Thailand that's located outside of Bangkok. This is their second year of that program. And also bringing it to some of the food festivals like the Slow Food Movement in Denver. Um, so that's been a very successful project in which you can immediately see um, a, dec a decrease in the amount of um, plastic pollution created. Uh, we've also, we have a whole plastic resources section that we provide on our site, which is plasticpollutioncoalition.org. And we publish about 12 to 15 news stories a month from our coalition members. We also update it with the latest resources and research that are related to the movement. Uh, we also create plastic-free guides we created a campus plastic reduction guide, which is free and can be downloaded. With uh, We produced it with Post Landfill Action Network from the University of New Hampshire. And a healthy baby guide last year with Made Safe, which is really a plastic-free baby guide. But again, it's free and it's just available, so it can be downloaded online. We have a project called The Last Plastic Straw, which is an ongoing campaign working with restaurants and businesses to change their, their protocol around... Uh, just not automatically offering straws, plastic straws to people, but having straws only avail available upon request and sharing best practices and advising on policy and legislation. We have a plastic-free island project, which is a model that brings stakeholders together on in island systems to reduce and eliminate single-use plastics, including straws, bottles, bags, um, and packaging, to-go packaging, food to-go packaging, as well as um, um, refillable projects, which I think is really nice since islands are kind of a place where you have to import everything in normally. Um, we're also part of the Break Free from Plastic movement, and we've been supporting their new brand audit, so encouraging people who do beach cleanups or river cleanups or cleanups of, of parks or national parks to add this brand audit element and with Literati, which is one of several different um, apps that you can download for a smartphone device, you can also track the brand and, and geolocate pieces of plastic pollution that you find. And that information through the brand audit can be used to turn around and talk to corporations and companies and um, gently encourage them to uh, redesign the packaging for their products or to connect the caps on their products, et cetera. Um, because really, truly, I think they should be responsible for all of their packaging, even at the end of life of their product. Uh, we've been building. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, sorry. Do you want me to go on? There's a lot of projects. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you want to just hit on a couple more, I think it's fascinating hearing everything that you guys are doing. Yeah. Well, it's not everything, actually. We we have both coalition working groups, and then we've been doing in-person coalition meetings and hosting those in 
Berkeley, California. We just did our first one in San Francisco recently. We just had our first one that we hosted in Los Angeles last week. Uh, we hosted one in Washington, D.C. today. It was our seventh or eighth in D.C., and we're expanding them into more cities. But it's really a wonderful way to get coalition members together, learn about what everybody's doing, have guest speakers highlight certain projects or information or um, teach people about the impact of endocrine disruptors or, or share a new app or an upcoming conference or something that might be of interest to our coalition members. So that's been really exciting. And then we've been developing a global plastic reduction legislative toolkit, um, which is in it. Uh, the beta version is now up live and that's really exciting. And we're hoping to continue to grow that so that we are providing tools for people uh, it's kind of a go-to resource for activists, concerned citizens, and members of government to find model legislation to reduce plastic pollution. And then just my background as a visual artist, we utilize art and culture, and we go for um, the system shift and the culture change that we'd like to see, but by using the arts. So we have over 150 notable thought leaders um, who are all involved in different aspects of the arts. Some of them are chefs, so culinary arts. Some of them are professional surfers and athletes, swimmers. Others are filmmakers or writers. Margaret Atwood joined our coalition a couple years ago, which was really exciting because I'm a big fan of her writing her books. Um, but, you know, a number of uh, notables who help share the messaging around this issue and are personally dedicated to everything from, if you take, for example, Jack Johnson on his tours to working towards having a zero waste tour and making it as free of single use plastic as possible when he's on the road. But he also really messages that out to his audience as well. So everything from Jack Johnson doing that or Ben Harper to uh, Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown, Bette Midler is a, big supporter of this work and created another one of the organizations which is part of our coalition the new york restoration project um jeff bridges trying to think who else there's there are a lot of there are a lot of actors actors and musicians people who have written songs people who have created short video pieces but uh for me i, I feel like the art and culture change component is a really important part of the movement because it's one thing to just give people, it's obviously the science is incredibly important. It's all based in science, but at the same time, how do you connect with people who are not just going to respond well to information being presented to them or to a talking head? I think a lot of times the way that you um, reach people is, is through the arts. So, What can an everyday individual be doing to fight plastic pollution? Well, I think as as an everyday individual, the things you can do are you can just just take it on. Just make a commitment and go for the low-hanging fruit, the things that are, that are easiest for you to try first. One would be as simple as every time you go out to a cafe, a restaurant, or a bar, when you ask for a drink or even before they bring you water, say, you know, no straw, please. And just make that really clear. Or a lot of times I'll go into a place and say, say, we're about to order, but none of us would like straws. So please don't bring us any plastic straws to the table. Um, so that's a really simple, just proactive thing that you can do. But, you know, if you're more into it and you have a regular routine, 
I would highly suggest carrying your own reusable stainless steel, ceramic, or glass um, thermos or reusable cup or tumbler uh, for coffee or tea if you're if you're just like a regular who goes out to your local coffee shop or you or you head there on your way to work or something like that. And that's just a no-brainer. And you'll actually save. I think they give a small discount at Starbucks and at Coffee Bean and Pete's if you have your own cup. And a lot of people just don't know that. They don't advertise it. So I think that's a nice, really simple solution. And it's your own cup. So it's kind of a nice thing to have. You can personalize it, put stickers on it, put your name on it, whatever you want to do. And then, you know, when I'm traveling longer distances or in the car or out doing sports, or I bring um, an insulated steel or, or a glass bottle with me if I forgot my steel bottle, and I fill that up with water. I also carry bamboo reusable utensils with me, and I really like to drink iced tea, so I have a stainless steel straw I slide into the side of the little case. So I've always got that with me, and it comes in handy literally almost every day. So those are little things, but also just bring in your own bag. And if you don't like to carry a big canvas bag, then get one of those little fold-up ones that you can tuck in the corner of your backpack or your purse. Um, our friend Jackie Nunez, who founded The Last Plastic Straw, likes to say that she's an urban packer. And she's, she is also has been a river guide so she really, she goes the full nine yards. She carries these little reusable t titanium plates with her. She has, she carries extra steel cups with her so that if she's out with friends, they can use a reusable cup as well. And she even has a pop-up little lantern that's got solar panels on the side of it. And I can't tell you already how many times that thing has come in handy when we've been working on our Plastic Free Island project in the U.S. Virgin Islands and all the lights went out and they didn't have a generator to back it up at a little restaurant cafe that we were all eating at. Jackie just turned around, pulled with, took it off with the carabiner, popped her little lantern open with the carabiner, suspended it, hung it up above us on the bar, and all of us just kept eating dinner. I have one of those, actually. They are very handy. Yeah, they're great. I mean, I, you know, I don't think we need to go full survivalist mode on this, but it's not that big of a deal to carry a small amount of, you know, a reusable container or lunchbox type of tiffin with you. I think stuff like that's really nice. And it's nice if, if you, specifically if you bring your own lunch with you to be able to bring it in that. So I think all of these things are really lovely and the design's getting better and better. And I know that I'm not, by doing that as an individual, I'm just not creating more garbage every day, you know, more more of some material that is going to unfortunately end up um, in our environment. And how can we support the mission of the Plastic Pollution Coalition? Well, I, I would love to see everybody in the world join our coalition. So everyone is invited. I'm reaching my arms out really wide and big right now while I'm talking to you. We invite everyone in the world to join us. If you've got a business or you're a, an organization, an NGO, a nonprofit, you're welcome to join us. You can join us if you are a tiny little group on a school campus. You can join us if you're doing turtle habitat restoration. You can join us if you're the Teamsters and the Girl Scouts who have both joined us or a really big conservation group like Conservation International. So there's room for everybody. It's a really big tent. And... Uh, you know, we're looking for 
all solutions, but in particular solutions that are focused around source reduction. So I like to always say nature doesn't create any waste or something has really evolved that takes up every, utilizes every part of the waste that nature might create. And I'd like to see humans become more conscientious about that as well. I think we all need to aim for zero waste. And I hope that one day in the very near future, Plastic Pollution Coalition can just become part of the greater international zero waste movement. So I hope that everyone will join us. Thank you so much for listening to the Hippie Haven podcast. Your support means the world to me. If you found value in today's episode, I encourage you to become a patron of the podcast. For just $5 a month, you can help me continue the educational work I'm doing here with all of my wonderful guests. And in return, I'll pick up a bag of trash in your honor. Visit patreon.com forward slash a hippie in a van to support this podcast. I also have an exclusive community for the podcast over on Facebook. So if you want to connect with me and other like-minded people, just type hippie haven in the Facebook search bar and join our group. Thanks again and stay tuned every Wednesday for the next episode.